This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. So we started a couple minutes late, but I just wanted to give time for more people to come in because everyone's kind of trickling in. Um, before we start, I'll just tell you briefly who I am. My name is Ariel Hinkle, and my husband is Taylor Hinkle, so you all probably know him, but you don't know me, but now you do. And um, Genesis is our little one, and then we're expecting a boy next year, so we're excited. But I am um, blessed to be able to be part of the music committee and to be part of this exciting opportunity to share a seminar with you. And we're going to be singing, um, or speaking today, it's called Singing of a Better Land, but specifically we're going to be talking about the role that music plays in evangelism. And you'll see why that is important here in just a few minutes. I'm going to start, and then Caleb's going to take over on the second half, sharing some more practical aspects of it as well. So let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer, and we'll dive in. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so very much for this day you have given us and for this opportunity to meet together as your children with the desire to serve you. And I pray that you will be with us now, since your Holy Spirit to be in this room with us. Please touch my lips, and I ask that it will be um, a blessing to those who hear what I say today. We thank you so much, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so we've all heard the term music evangelism. But what does that really mean? What role does music actually play in evangelism? This started to become a lot more clear to me a few years ago, actually at another GYC conference. And I was in college at the time, and a few of my friends and I were just um, were able to share a special music together. And I had another one of my close friends text me afterwards, and she said, Ariel, thank you so much. She said, that was just what I needed to hear, and it really inspired me to... Um, really renew my faith in Jesus. And when I heard that, I, I was kind of taken aback because I guess we always think about sharing music for Christ, but we never think about the impact it can actually have on a heart. At least I hadn't truly thought about it yet at that point. And I think that it's important for us to remember that that really is what music, and especially music evangelism, is all about. And so today we're going to take a deeper look at um, how to make this possible in our own experience as well every day. So, step one, the importance of music in evangelism. Ellen White shared some insights that I think are very valuable on this topic, and she shared how music can be a really big blessing for impacting hearts. This is one of my favorite quotes. It says, song is one of the most effective means of impressing spiritual truth upon the heart. Often, by words of sacred song, the springs of penitence and faith have been unsealed. And that is from Review and Herald. And then another one that I really think is powerful as well. 
says there is great pathos and music in the human voice, and if the learner will make determined efforts, he will acquire habits of talking and singing that will be to him a power to win souls to Christ. And so if rightly used, we can actually use our voices and our musical gift as a power to win souls for Christ, which is what we really should be focusing on. So music isn't just talked about in Spirit of Prophecy, it's also very prominent in the Bible. And I think something that we all think of is the Levites. And in 1 Chronicles 15, 16, it says, Then David spoke to the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brethren to be the singers accompanied by instruments of music, stringed instruments, harps, and cymbals by raising the voice with resounding joy. And so there were Levites whose only job and role was to provide music in the temple in the sanctuary service. And so we know that it was something that was very sacred and important to God from that. And of course, King David wrote thousands of psalms, and um, his son Solomon also wrote, wrote many songs, and many of them are in the Bible for us to enjoy today. And also the sons of Korah sang songs in the temple services, so we have record of a lot of this being a very important part of worship. Then also we're told in Christian Education, page 62, singing as a part of religious service is as much an act of worship as is prayer. And that is, um, that's heavy, (laughs) if you ask me, because we know prayer is so important, and if music is also just as powerful, it's something we need to take seriously. So, obviously, music is very important in evangelism, but then the question that arises in my mind is just how important is it? We know it's important, but how important? And I think that as musicians, we can tend to place music very, very, very high on the level of importance when it comes to evangelism. And it's not wrong that we think it's important, but do we sometimes think that it's too important, is my question. So let's ask ourselves this in question. Just how important is it? And is music in and of itself a means of converting souls? Because that's what evangelism is, right? It's seeking to reach the heart and convert the heart for Christ. Can music in and of itself do that? Let's look at this quote. The hearts of many in the world as well as many church members, are hungering for the bread of life and thirsting for the waters of salvation. They are interested in the service of song, but they are not longing for that or even prayer. They want to know the scriptures. What saith the word of God to me? The Holy Spirit is working on mind and heart, drawing them to the bread of life. They see everything around them changing. Human feelings, human ideas of what constitutes religion change. They come to hear the word just as it reads. And how much more true is that of our lives today? The world around us is constantly changing. What people call religion is constantly changing. And the reality is, music is important, but there is so much more to evangelism than music. Evangelism evangelism isn't what you could call a one-stop shop. Um, When you do one thing, You haven't done everything. There's something called the cycle of evangelism. This includes multiple steps, multiple different facets. And music is a piece of the evangelism cycle, but it's not a complete step in and of itself. And I think it's really important to to understand that and to remember that. So as musicians, once we've sung a song or held a concert, our job is not done. 
we can't just walk away and say, whew, I'm a music evangelist, like, I have done my work, praise the Lord. You may have done part of your work, but you have a much larger work to do as a Christian and as a follower of Christ. Yes, you've sung a song, and you've provided a means for people's hearts to be softened. Remember the quote that said it allowed people's hearts to be softened and subdued by the Holy Spirit? But that's only the first step. So now you have to lead them to the next step and labor with them for the conversion of their hearts. And I think it's important for us to remember that as Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we are called to be a part of the entire process. Everyone is required to give Bible studies. Everyone is required to pray with people, to seek to win hearts for Christ. So just because we're musicians doesn't mean we get it off, like we get off easy, you know what I mean? And I think it's important for us to remember that. So some practical ways that we can actually do that, um, there are several things that you can do. Prayer, friendship, evangelism, Bible study, all of these are vital. And I would even go so far as to say, and you don't have to be upset at me because I'm a musician too, but I would say that these, these are much, much more vital than a song. No one is going to get baptized without being prayed with or without having personal Bible studies given to them. But people could be baptized without hearing the perfect song. So, in order to be a true music evangelist, because that's what we're supposed to be, we need to personally facilitate and also work with others to accomplish all of these steps. So, for instance, you can work with an evangelist or a pastor. I know people that sing with evangelists um, or maybe work with their local pastor. If you travel and do concerts, you can make sure to connect visitors with that local pastor in that church. You can give personal Bible studies to your friends or to other people nearby your congregation. Of course, something we can all do is hand out glow tracks and give out other literature. It doesn't get much easier than that. Also, if you give concerts, you can make appeals for people to make a decision for Christ at your concert and then connect the pastor with them as well. And then there's so much more that you can do. So this is a, just like the tip of the iceberg for how we as musicians can be a part of bringing an individual all the way through the entire cycle of evangelism to conversion. So we know that we're supposed to be a music evangelist. We know that we're supposed to work towards that end goal of saving a soul. But how are we effective? How can we be effective in winning a soul for Christ? And if we are singing to Christ's glory, what is something very important for us to be able to do in order to make that impact for Christ? And I cannot stress this enough. This is the most important part. It's conversion. In order to be an effective means to reach a soul, we have to be converted. And if you are unconverted, not only will you have a very difficult time giving someone a Bible study, but you'll be a very ineffective music evangelist. And here's why. Because no matter how beautiful your voice is, no matter how talented you are when you play an instrument, if you're not committed to Christ, your effectiveness will be microscopic compared to what it could be if he was living inside of you and shining through you as you were doing that. Here's a couple of quotes that I thought were really powerful. It says, many are singing beautiful songs in the meetings, songs of what they will do, 
and what they meant to do. But some do not do these things. They do not sing with the Spirit and the understanding also. So in the reading of the Word of God, some are not benefited because they do not take it into their very life. They do not practice it. So here we see simply singing a song isn't enough. You actually have to have those principles in your life and be living them in order to make singing them effective and a blessing to others. So there's another quote. In their efforts to reach the people, the Lord's messengers are not to follow the ways of the world. In the meetings that are held, they are not to depend on worldly singers and theatrical display to awaken an interest. How can those who have no interest in the word of God, who have never read his word with a sincere desire to understand its truths, be expected to sing with the spirit and the understanding? How can their hearts be in harmony with the words of sacred song? How can the heavenly choir join in music that is only a form? And I know that specifically in this quote, she is mainly talking about hiring non-Christian or non-Adventist musicians to come in. But in our day and age today, we need to make sure that we're also converted. Because simply going to church and calling yourself an Adventist doesn't make you one, if that makes sense. You have to actually have a living, breathing connection with Christ to be effective. So, so again, it's important to sing with the Spirit and the understanding. And something that I'd like to point out is that if we don't have this reality in our lives, if we aren't converted, then even if we're singing in church, we're just like any other secular performer who is singing a song. Because the reality is, you're not allowing Christ to live and work through you. You're just singing a song, like everyone else that is just singing a song. And this um, really, can, uh, I can really relate to this. When I was 15 or 16, we had a couple of evangelists, actually it was Chad and Fadia Cruiser, that came to my church and held an evangelistic series, and they asked me to sing. Now, I was very musical, my dream was to be like the next, forgive me, but the next Taylor Swift. I was like, this is what I'm going for, this is what I'm going to be, and I can do it. And so that was my goal, was to be a full-time career musician. And yes, I went to church, and yes, I was involved, and I was considered to probably be one of like the really good kids. My dad was an elder, but I was not converted. And for me, I didn't really care what they were preaching, and I didn't really care about the fact that people's souls were being weighed in the balances. I was just there to sing, and I was just there to perform. And I literally felt no different and viewed it no different than I did when I would sing in a secular venue. It was the exact same thing in my mind. But praise the Lord, fast forward 10 years, and I had been converted at the age of 18, and I am married to a pastor. And um, my husband was preaching an evangelistic series and asked me, once again, to provide the special music each night. But there was a very, very, very big change between what had happened 10 years prior and then at that point. And because this time, I wanted to be fully intentional about preparing hearts and of allowing God to use me to help bring a greater impact of um, the Bible that my husband was preaching. 
And so I really carefully and prayerfully chose each song to make sure that it would line up with the messages, to make sure that it would have the greatest amount of power. Um, And one of the biggest things in my mind was that I didn't want people to see me anymore. Like my sole purpose and goal was for them to see Jesus through me. And the biggest difference, I wasn't performing. I was prayerfully seeking to be an empty vessel for Christ to fill and then to use to bless others. And that, I believe, is what it means to sing with spirit and understanding. The first time in my life, I didn't have that. But by God's grace and a daily surrender to him, we can each have that. And it makes all the difference in the world. And so it's really important to understand the enormity of this responsibility. And like I said, I just can't stress this enough. Because unless we have this one thing in our lives, the rest really doesn't matter. Because if we don't have a relationship with Christ, we're not going to be effective as a musician for him. One last quote on this. Display is not religion or sanctification. There is nothing more offensive in God's sight than a display of an instrumental music when those taking part are not consecrated are not making melody in their hearts to the Lord. The offering most sweet and acceptable in God's sight is a heart made humble by self-denial, by lifting the cross and following Jesus. So we see a contrast there. The thing that is offensive to Christ and then the thing that is most beautiful. And the wonderful thing is he has given us the ability to be that beautiful sacrifice for him that he can use everywhere. So we've looked at how Music can impact hearts for Christ. We've looked at the role that music can play in evangelism. And now we've also looked at how important it is um, for us to be converted so we can be more effective in our witness through song. So, now that all of that is said, it brings us back to the question, why should we sing evangelistically? Like, it's a good thing. We need to be converted. But what's the big deal? Like, why is it so important? And I think it all really comes down to one point and it is embodied very well, said music was made to serve a holy purpose, to lift the thoughts to that which is pure, noble, and elevating, and to awaken in the soul devotion and gratitude to God. So God created music, but he created it for one purpose. And um, as his children, as people that claim to be his children, it's our responsibility to fulfill that purpose. Song without the purpose of drawing people's hearts to Christ is pointless. He created it to draw hearts to him. And so if we use it any other way, we're really misusing the creation that he made. And I also believe that when a consecrated musician seeks to glorify God through their music, it will be evangelistic. If you are converted and if you have a desire to see people one for Christ... You will choose to do everything in your power and ability to serve him. And I believe that it's impossible to bring dishonor to Christ through that. Um, So I want to leave you with a challenge to think about as Caleb comes up and talks to you about some more practical ways to put this into practice. It says, the science of salvation is to be the burden of every sermon and the theme of every song. 
let it be poured forth in every supplication. So as you go about your day, as you go about your life, and as a musician, as you ponder all of these different things, let's keep this at the forefront of our thoughts. And being a musician in this world is not easy. Musicians are looked upon as idols. I mean, we have American Idol. They look at you, you're, you're on a pedestal. So we're prone to pride. We're prone to self-exaltation. And I know that it's a struggle that I deal with every day. And every time I sing, I have to pray, Lord, please, like, keep me humble. And that's so important. And in order to be effective, we need to make sure that we are surrendering our hearts to Christ every single day. And so make sure that the science of salvation is your burden, not just in the songs you sing, but in your life and every single thing you do to reach those around you. And then by God's grace, we can all be instrumental in bringing more souls into the kingdom through the gifts he has given us. Can you hear me? There we go. All right, think about those questions as we continue on here. Um, you can text them in if you want, or, or I'm, I'll just take questions from the audience probably here as we get towards the end. So, speaking of uh, praying, Lord, keep me humble. I've prayed that a few times, and uh, a few times when I've prayed it, I forgot my words when I got up to sing, or something like that. <laughs> So I, I appreciate what you said there, Ariel. If you're, going to do so, if you're going to commit to this and sing for the Lord, it is going to be a humbling experience at times because we must be humble, and the Lord will help you with that. Um, but don't be afraid of that experience because there are more blessings can come out of that than you realize. I remember one time I completely slaughtered a song that I was sharing for special music one time, and I don't know what this guy was listening to, but he came up to me afterwards. He says, you know what? That was the biggest blessing all week. And I'm like, I'm glad someone got a blessing out of it because it was pretty bad. <laughs> so don't be afraid to be humbled. So I'm going to talk about some of, just, tell, just share with you some of the things that I've done, that I've experimented with, things that I've seen other people do with music evangelism. Uh, I hope some of this is helpful to you. Uh, you, should never, you should never sing a solo. And I say that spiritually because if you're singing by yourself, that's okay, as long as the Lord is singing with you. But there are ways that we can go about singing, whether it be a group, a choir, an individual, whatever it might be, that can bring that emphasis to God and Him joining with us in that song. Um, I've done a lot of concerts with uh, an evangelistic focus where we were trying to get, we were trying to reach out to people who wouldn't actually come, come to church for anything else, like an evangelistic series or a church service or something like that, but they might come to a concert or they might come to some music program. And uh, so I've, I've done things like this over the years with friends, and I'm going to share with you what I've learned in those experiences. It's, uh, there's lots of ways to do it wrong, and I've tried some of them. 
So uh, don't, don't, uh, don't do the wrong ones. Um, before I go into that, let me just mention a couple things that I haven't done all of these, but they're ideas that I've seen people do, and I've seen them be effective, and I actually am, I wanna try some of them. Uh, for example, uh, music shared simply and in a simple place can be far more effective than you think. Uh, have you ever thought about doing music with an, a medical outreach event? Like say, like we have just had Pathways here with, uh, just before GYC. Did they have music d during the actual, perfect. Okay, I know they've done that before. I wasn't able to go down there with this year to see if they were doing it. But having a concert while patients are coming in, they're waiting in line, they're waiting for their turn, having some people to share some music and tell stories and, and, and you know, have some dialogue with the patients. And then you can, uh, you could, uh, I've seen a church where they, they did that and they t invited people to come to the church the next following weekend for a concert by the same people and people came. And then after the concert, they invited them to come to hear uh, an evangelistic uh, series the following weekend or the following day, and people came. And these are people who probably would not have come, uh, or at least would have been much harder to get in contact with them and get their attention uh, if it wasn't for that music. So that's one thing. I haven't personally done that yet, but I'm, I'm looking for an opportunity to do it. I've seen other people do it. I think it can be very effective. What about singing door to door? Ever tried that? So one year at GYC, we were going door to door, and it was freezing cold. I think we were in Baltimore. I, I could be wrong, but um, the group I was with was like, you know what, why don't we just sing at each door and then give them the glow track or whatever we were handing them and fill out the survey. And we got, we got quite a bit of Bible study uh, requests from that. And people wanted to take, we had great controversy that year, and people wanted to take the book. And there was a lot of enthusiasm we got that, that the people around us on the same uh, similar streets didn't seem to get the same results. We were just singing random hymns that we could think of and find on our phones. It was a lot of fun. Um, I've heard of people doing that more regularly, like say in your local church community, going door to door, uh, singing on a monthly basis or something, and they get the community gets to know them, and they're like, "Oh yeah, you know, we love it when you guys come by and sing. Can you come, you know, to our our um, home for such and such meal, or you know, Thanksgiving or something like that?" And it it leads to further contact, and then pretty soon people are doing Bible studies, people are coming to social events, friendships are made, and Hopefully, we see them all in eternity. Amen? Um, music in people's homes, um, especially those who are sick or elderly, uh, this can be a huge blessing. I know it seems simple. It's, it's you know, as Ariel mentioned, this is, uh, this is sometimes a humbling experience for us as musicians, uh, but it can be such a blessing, such a blessing to people who are in their homes. They can't come out. They can't come to church, whether it's a church member or, or just someone who, who, um, uh, someone who maybe hasn't come to church for a long time. And you hear that they're sick, show up, do a little concert for them in the living room, can be a huge blessing. So consider that as an option. Um, music with children programs. Uh, I, uh, I wish... I wish uh, Ariel had shared this story. Uh, 
Ariel's husband, Taylor, his cousin, uh, went to Sabbath school as a young boy. And he would sing the, the children's songs, you know, the, the ones that we, we all uh, are familiar with. You know, I have come to Sabbath school, uh, this little light of mine, these kind of songs. And, and then he, um, I, I, I believe, if I don't get the story wrong, uh, he was not brought to church, or as he grew older, he was, he was, he was not coming to church for a long time. And, but as he's, he's older now, and he's, he, to this day, he's always remembered those songs that he sang in Sabbath school. And he, he can't remember the time. He remembers the time when he realized that most Christians actually go to church on Sunday instead of Saturday. And it's like, what? what? You know, because of the children's song that he sang as a young boy in Sabbath school. And that had such a profound impact on his mind as, um, as he you know, grew older in his, his spiritual journey. And he's coming back to the Lord now. I believe. Hopefully, I'm not getting the story wrong, Ariel. <laughs> um, and those, and he specifically has mentioned those children's songs multiple times. You know, those things helped me remember the truth. Amen. You can have a profound impact singing these simple songs with children um, at various programs, social events, whatever the whatever opportunity you might find yourself in. So, concerts. How many of you guys have done a concert or been involved in one? Okay, most people have been involved in one. Um, how many of you guys have organized one? A couple of us, okay, nice, nice. So there's lots of ways you can do concerts. Um, I'm gonna focus on what I have tried. It doesn't mean that the other ideas are bad uh, or wrong in any way, so don't get me wrong. But I have, I have experimented with some ways that I feel really help focus the concert in the evangelistic mindset. Um, I've, I've often seen concerts, uh, while they, they, we are trying to make them evangelistic, we want them to be you know, Christ-centered and focused, but it, it can slip into the realm of uh, performance if we're not careful. Because it's, which is natural, we want them to be, we want it to be professional, we want it to be as good as possibly can, and so we focus so much on making the music good, and we forget why we're doing it. It's very easy to do, I've done it myself. So, um, one thing that I have done a lot with a friend of mine, uh, Chris Reeves. Anybody know Chris Reeves? A couple people have heard him tell stories. He loves, loves just telling stories, and he's actually um, studied the art a little bit. He's read some books on it, and he's practiced, and he's really, really wanted to learn how to tell stories well. It's, a, it's an art that we've lost in, in our society for the most part these days because of all the media we have. And so he just loves telling stories. So he and I have done a lot of these concerts where we will um, combine a story with songs and he'll tell you know five minutes of the story and then we'll sing a song and then five minutes of the story and then sing us another song and the songs go along with the story and the end result is a concert. It's a, it's a full concert, but it is a concert with a, um, with a message. It's, it's just as message-focused as a sermon would be. And the stories, surprisingly enough, really help us to focus the, uh, what we're trying to do with each song. Um, you know, this is often done with like Christmas programs where you have a narration. That's the most common example of, of this sort of thing. Uh, but we specifically never did a Christmas program because those are always um, 
that there's, I think there's actually a better use for Christmas programs. I'll get to that a little bit later. Um, so uh, we told a number, we've done a number of these concerts with different stories. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress was one that we told. Uh, we've done um, one with, uh, I forget the name all of a sudden. I'll have to think of that later. But several, there's several books out there of, of people in recent history who have, who have stood for truth. Um, who were persecuted for their faith and powerful, powerful stories. And you combine that story with some songs and people are, are just, you know, the, some of the comments I've heard of people coming up to me afterwards, in fact, one case, one of our concerts, um, a secular professor from a university who teaches uh, in a secular university who happened to come because one of his students invited him to this concert, to our church, he says, you know, uh, I've never, uh, this concert made me think about some things that I've never thought about before. Thank you. That's all he said. I don't know where that took him after that, but this is coming from a gentleman who doesn't come to church. Never, as far as I know, never has come to church perhaps, doesn't believe in God, and he, um, he, uh, he would never have come to church for anything other than this concert that his student invited him for. And it was something that led him closer to a closer knowledge of God. And I, I'm curious to see where that took him later in his life. Maybe when I get to heaven, I'll find out. Um, but I've had other similar experiences like that as well, and it's really cool. So here's some things on what I've learned with writing these concerts. So first off, you gotta write it. You gotta pick your story if you're gonna do the story format. If you're not going to do a story format, then make sure that you have a theme, a goal. You, you need it to be cohesive. One thing I've often seen with concerts is we kind of throw a bunch of songs together. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to find songs that we can do. We're trying to find songs that uh, we know perhaps if it's in a local church setting, we're just working with what we have. And that's okay, but it's even better if we can define the theme. What are we trying to do with this song? What do we want people to walk away with remembering? And if you write that down first, or if you pick a story that, that accomplishes that for you first and build everything off of that, that lays the foundation. So pick your story. Um, and as you're picking your story, uh, think about your audience, who you're trying to reach. So when we did Pilgrim's Progress, we specifically, we had done other concerts that were focused, like we did one that was Adventist history. So we talked about some of the different Adventist uh, founders of, of the church and these, these men and women who studied together and grappled with the, the doctrines that we have and how they came to it and all that kind of stuff. So we told some of their stories and we put songs along with that. And that was, um, that was great, but that was, that was good for a, um, an Adventist audience that was you know, looking for encouragement in their faith. It was probably not the best content for reaching out to our local community who's never heard of Adventism before. So when we did Pilgrim's Progress, we thought, okay, we want to actually uh, extend this to com the community. We want to invite people who, you know, would never come to church otherwise. What can we tell? What can we put in this concert that will be a blessing to them, that will be a good first, you know, kind of interaction on the spiritual level? The story of Pilgrim's Progress is so, how many of you guys have read the story? Oh man, you guys got to go read it, those of you who haven't. That is a powerful story. Um, the, the allegory of Pilgrim's Progress takes you through the entire 
Christian journey, step by step. In such a, every time I read it, it's like I, I see new layers that I didn't see before. Um, it, it, it's incredible. And it's a perfect, it's generic Christianity. Of course, it was written many, many, you know, three, four hundred years ago, something like that. Um, so it's not, as far as I know, no particular faith claims it as their, their uh, composition. Most Christian faiths uh, consider it a, a good, enjoyable. Protestant. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yes. Um, so, but as far as I know, I, I've never heard any Christian of any faith say, oh, that's, you know, that's their, that church, that's, you know, and I'm of this church, you know what I mean? So it's very generic in that, um, but it's very powerful in, it doesn't have any, one problem when we're trying to, uh, when we're trying to be generic in our faith, it's easy to lose uh, our truth, forget about our truth, <laughs> the, the truth of the Bible. And, um, yeah, James is going to mention a few things along those lines in the next session. So you want to be careful. If you want to be generic in your faith, don't whitewash the truth out. Pilgrim's Progress does not do that by any means. In fact, it quite does the opposite. So we picked that story. Uh, we broke the story down. You can never tell the full story in 90 minutes, even if all you did was tell the story. It's like a six-hour long book if you read it cover to cover. Actually, more like nine hours. So we... Uh, we broke it down, we picked little elements that we wanted to highlight, you know, that we'd have to skip the rest. And we picked more than, than we knew we could use, but then we started aligning songs with it. So um, we looked for songs that could go with each section. And one thing to remember, um, you want to remember where you're going in the story. What's your appeal? What's your conclusion going to be? How are you going to tie it all together? And in Pilgrim's Progress, we thought, you know, let's, let's, uh, uh, the celestial city is the ending of it. Uh, we want to invite people to join. How do, how do we do this? Um, it was, we wanted to invite them to come to the celestial city. And which is exactly what Christian does in the entire story. He's, he's on his way to the celestial city. And so we invited them. So we picked the appeal song before we picked the rest of the songs. And then we picked songs, we looked for ones that had elements that reflected to that appeal piece by piece as much as possible. These were songs that we didn't write. So in some cases it didn't fit perfectly. But little words and phrases here and there, you know, maybe a phrase in one song that somehow relates to the appeal or, or um, something towards the end. And we may not actually emphasize it on purpose in the concert, but different people will pick different things out. You know, they'll, they'll hear one thing in one song and they'll hear another thing in another song and it'll click in their mind and someone else will hear something totally different, but it will be a blessing to them. The Lord can direct people's thoughts to those things. And it's our job to just think about it and try to put as much in there as possible. And then the Lord can direct their minds to what, what we have prepared. Um, the one thing we also did before we really started practicing it was um, we wrote the tie-in lines. So when you sing a song and then you're going to tell a story or you tell a story and you sing a song right after, you want to make sure that you connect what you just told in the story with what's going to be sung in the song or what we just sang in the song with what's now going to be told in the story. And it's very simple, just a, a simple, you know, like say, I can't remember any of the examples we did. I haven't done this in like three years. Um, the, uh, the one that comes to mind, there was something about uh, Christian uh, took his eyes off the light at one point and he falls in the, 
uh, pit of despair, in the, in the uh, bog of despair. Um, no, it was the uh, slew of despond. Thank you, thank you. And the way you phrase, the way you tell that story, you lean up to it. You could say something like, he forgot to turn his eyes upon Jesus. That's all you got to say. And then you sing the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, or, or whatever song you're going to do that. Just say something that's going to be in the song as part of the story, and people's minds are instantly connected to what you're doing. So write those tie-ins before you get to start, to start practicing and picking the songs. Now, when, you're, when you get to the narration, writing the narration, we found that it was best to have Chris do all the narrations. Uh, he is a good storyteller, and, and instead of having multiple people do narrations throughout the concert, a lot of, a lot of concerts will do that, and that's okay, but the, the benefit of having a single narrator do it, we found was that that was the anchor point for the entire program, because we had different musicians for different songs quite often, and it was um, having him be that filler between each song while we would get the next one ready, and he was that familiar face, and he could keep that cohesive thought going with his story all the way through. It's so much easier when it's just one person. You can do multiple people, that's fine, there's nothing wrong with it, but just think about how the program will flow. Will people be distracted from what you want them to be hearing? Um, it's very easy for people to just, you know, you're setting up mic stands over here, and someone else is talking over here that they've never heard before, and they're like, oh, what's going on? And, you know, if you have a familiar face throughout the whole thing, it can really help to be an anchor point. So we did it that way. You can consider your options in that area. Whoever does the narration, though, they need to practice. They need to be good at it. Uh, if they haven't done it before, they can become good at it. Use these kinds of things as ways to improve people's skills. That's okay. But don't, don't read your script. Memorize it, if at all possible. Um, and don't, uh, don't just, um, yeah, don't read your script, don't, uh, don't memorize it and try to do it, try to do it as best as possible to engage the audience. Um, and part of that is to do a full rehearsal. Uh, we tried to do this, we didn't always accomplish it, but doing a full rehearsal, I know it's time consuming, getting people to come, do the whole thing, but it can, it can make all the difference in the world. If we didn't do a full rehearsal, we'd do the concert several times, and after you do the first one, it goes much better the second time around. Um, picking songs. Your songs have to have a solid message. You can't just pick uh, songs that can say almost anything and expect them to say something specific. You know, you need songs that have a real solid message. We often, a few times, we actually rewrote the words of a song to, to be more direct in the message. We had you know, it was a great melody, had good chorus or something like that. It's like the, the verse just falls apart or it just says nothing. Let's rewrite the verse to actually say something of substance. So consider that. You can always rewrite a song. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, if you can improve it, if you pray over it and, and the Lord impresses you with words, write them out, use them. And you can come to James's seminar if you want to know how, more how to do that. He's going to be talking about that. The... We didn't use a lot of instrumental music, but you can. The places where we did was uh, places where the story was very contemplative, prayerful. It was a moment where you just needed to hear a familiar song. Um, there was one point where we just played nearer, still nearer in the background, very quiet. Um, it was a point where Christian was just 
pouring out his heart, and it just, it just needed a, a, a familiar, that, that hymn to be played very briefly, but that was the only instrumental music we used. Uh, we, we did that on purpose. Um, if your audience is very familiar with a lot of instrumental songs and they associate the instrumental songs with a particular message, then it's okay to use that. But an instrumental song without a, some association with a, a, a message uh, can kind of just be music in the middle of nowhere to an audience that doesn't understand it. So know your audience, use that appropriately however you feel is best. The music groups, the musicians, uh, picking the musicians for the concert. This is interesting. Ideally, you want at least some musicians who are committed to the goal. You know, you have this goal of reaching people for Christ with your concert. Um, it's interesting how, you know, you'll have musicians who won't really be committed to that goal. They won't be really interested in that. They'll be interested in doing music, but they're not really interested in, in the evangelistic side of it. And then you'll have musicians who are really interested in that. And if your choir is filled with people who um, largely don't care about anything but the music, you're going to struggle to get them to commit to the level of, of preparation you want and to, to, uh, to sing things and prepare things in the way that you want and their demeanor, their attitude. It's just, you know, if you can find people, you're not always going to be able to find people who are committed to that goal, and that's okay. But if you have a few key people in the group, um, if, they're, if they're the leaders, if they're the conductor, if they're the, the people that are tying it all together and they are just gung-ho about this mission, then they can uplift the musicians and encourage the musicians that aren't, and they can, they can bring, they can, they can bring that, that atmosphere along with them into the rehearsals, into the practices. And ideally, you should, with those who are committed to this, you should pray together and study together and um, study the music and the messages together spiritually, even more than you practice it. You, you should practice the music, but if, if you don't take the time, it's so easy, I've done this so often where I just practice away, and oh, we should pray, you know, at the very end when we're like exhausted. <laughs> no, let's pray first, let's spend some time in prayer, let's spend some time, you know, opening up our Bibles and, you know, where's the words from this song taken from? Oh, it's taken from this Bible passage. What is this Bible passage saying? Oh man, this, this, yeah, now the song just comes to life, you know what I mean? So think about that, consider having that as a, you know, if you're preparing a concert, have a Friday night, a Sabbath afternoon where you sit down with the, the musicians that are committed to this goal and just pour through the material and really, really study together. And it will bring the concert to life in ways you, you wouldn't imagine. Um, so that was, that was the large amount of, of what we did uh, for the concerts. We... We did this at different churches. You can, do, you can take it or leave it. I hope it's helpful to you. Uh, we, uh, <laughs> we, we did it in some cases. We did it with evangelistic series. In some cases, we did it where we would advertise to the community. In other cases, we would do it um, just with a Sabbath afternoon with the church, and we would tell the church ahead of time, you know, tell your, your attendees that they, sh they can bring their coworkers and friends and family that might not otherwise come to church. And, you know, so those are some different ways that you can, you can use it. Um, it can, be, it can be interesting at first getting churches and people to understand what you're doing because concerts are often not considered, when people think concert, they don't always think, oh, evangelistic series. Those are not usually the same, 
sentence in people's minds. But the more you do it, the more, you know, as we did it, we started getting pastors calling us and saying, hey, you know, I heard you did this at so-and-so's church, and, you know, I would like to have that, like, as the opening of my evangelistic series. And, and so it started to catch on, but it took a little while for people to understand what we were doing, why we were doing it, what we really wanted them, how, they, how we really wanted them to use it. So don't be discouraged if the first time around is like, well, that was just a bunch of the same church members who they may have been blessed, but, you know, they're in the church. They're, they have a walk with the Lord, and, uh, and, they, and they didn't bring any of their friends or neighbors. So that's okay. Do it again and, uh, and look for opportunities. Uh, look for better ways to, to advertise it. Um, the only other thing I'm going to say on this, and then I'm going to take a couple of your questions, is the other excellent use for concerts that I've seen is concerts for reaching the musicians. And this is an example, you know, like when you do a Christmas concert, and it is a, um, perhaps it's not the most musically pleasing program, but the musicians that you bring, you know, because it's done, you don't have a lot of time to practice, you know, you're involving a lot of people who maybe don't do music all the time, it's okay. But the musicians are blessed because of it. And you can invite people, you know, like you, your music teacher who is non-Christian or whatever, you know, and, and they come and they do, they do a piece in, the, in the, uh, the program or a friend or, you know, someone. You can get people to come in for that program and participate in the program that might never otherwise come and their contact with you and your friends can be extremely powerful. I've seen that done, I've seen it done well, and it may not be the most appealing concert to the audience, but that's okay. It doesn't have to be unappealing to the audience. You, it, it can be both, but I've, I've seen people say, well, you know, it wasn't that great of a concert. No, no, you don't, you don't know what was going on with some, some of the people in that choir were people who've never been in the church before. You know, oh really? You know, all of a sudden the light goes on in their mind, and they see what's going on behind the scenes. You know, be, be below the the slightly dissonant notes of the choir, there's actually harmony going on in the soul there. So, never underestimate that that uh, the use of that that type of uh, program. And I want to say, if you're a teacher, any how many of you guys are music teachers? I know we got at least one, two, three, four, five. Okay, nice. Your power as a teacher is absolutely tremendous. Um, I met a guy in the lunch line of GYC some years back. Don't know his name. It was just a random chatting while we were waiting for lunch. And he says, yeah, you know, um, I, I came back to the Lord after I had an interesting conversation with my music teacher. I was singing some song, and he challenged me on the theology of it. And, and the, from what I gathered, the music teacher was a committed Christian. And the music teacher was trying to get him to think about what he was singing. You know, why are you singing this? What is this song you're singing? Why are you, what do those words mean? And it got him thinking, and it got him, it started the ball rolling, and he started thinking and praying, and he started turning back to the Lord. He's like, I'm here because my music teacher made me think. So if you're a teacher or if you want to be a teacher or if you find yourself teaching in a church, you know, um, if you're starting a church choir or just doing a program or something, you're, you're teaching in the context of music. Look for those opportunities to share with people. You know, don't just say, okay, let's practice a song. Let's say, hey, let's read the words together. What do these words mean? 
and you can make people think where they may not otherwise think. So, any questions? Shall I check my, see if anyone's texted anything in? Yes. Yes, yes. Um, Ariel, did you hear this question? Because I know you have an answer for this one. So we're talking about how using music in a context where the, the lyrics either can't be shared or they are not understood. It's in a, maybe in a cultural setting where they don't know the language. Um, or like you mentioned, maybe a, a setting where you can't necessarily sing Christian lyrics because it's not allowed. Um, what, what are some, uh, I, I, help me understand your question. Are you asking, can instrumental music alone, how can that be used? What, what, what can that do for us? Is that your question? Okay. I know you had a story that kind of answers this. I think it can, yes. Right, um, okay. I, I have, and well, in Caleb, the story specifically that I, I have is dealing with, with songs with lyrics. But also, it, for instance, it was in a setting where there was a, a language barrier. We were in Serbia. Um, I don't speak Serbian. A lot of them don't speak English. And then we were also in Zimbabwe at one other time in this bush, like four hours out, and they spoke their native tribal tongue and not English as well. And um, we sang songs in English, but it was still just as much a blessing to them as it, was, as it would have been had they understood it. And it was pretty mind-blowing to me because I didn't expect that. But I think that also when it comes down to it, God didn't just create lyrics. He created the music in and of itself. And I think if you play well and with... Um, and we're not talking specifically about styles and whatnot in this seminar series, but in a way that brings glory to him and can touch a heart and move a heart, I think it can still be effective in that means. And they may not be as moved as if they would be hearing you sing about the love of Jesus or his power to save and whatnot, but I think it can still definitely be used in a powerful way to impact a heart and to soften them and to subdue it because God still instituted that as well. So I think that's, that's one way. Now, as far as doing it in a place where Christian songs and lyrics aren't allowed, I don't have any experience with that. But um, I think that that also could potentially maybe be a way of working with that too. Yeah, I think... Um I don't have any experience on this either, but I, I can't imagine that God couldn't use a simple instrumental song to touch someone. I mean, the Holy Spirit can speak words into a song that has no words, right? I mean, that would be simple for him to do. 
Um, so I don't see why not. I think, I think some of these kinds of questions and dilemmas, these specific situations, uh, we have to approach them with prayer, mm-hmm. uh, approach them with the best information that we have, and, and say, Lord, you know, how do, I, how do I reach this person? Can I use music? How can I use this song? What song do you want me to use? And he'll, he'll, he'll impress you with that. You know, he will give you those answers. And, um, and then you step out, give it a try, and uh, ask the Lord to fill in where, where it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And Ellen White does actually have quotes, too, and I didn't put any in this one because I was focusing more, I guess, on singing because that's what I primarily do. But um, she does have some quotes that I found when I was preparing my section that talks about how it's a blessing and it's a good thing and we should use instrumental music in our worship services because it is a blessing. And so it's something that she specifically mentions is to have well-trained musicians playing instrumental music and that we should include them in our worship. So that's just another thought too. Yeah. One more question? Okay. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. And I've done that when it was English audience, English words. You sometimes miss the words when you're just singing them, you know, especially if it's a complex song. Put them on the screen. That's a great idea. Um, one last question before we break and then for James' session. Any other questions? Come on, I know you guys have more ideas than this. <laughs> Okay. But um, what about having a background track? I, I actually tried this, but it's hard to find background tracks that I feel are really spiritual and uplifting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So do you guys have resources? I mean, I guess this is open to anybody. Um, where are you found those? Yes, accompaniment tracks are tricky. Um, what's that? Oh, yes. So the question is, How can we, so let me help me understand, are we, what sources might there be for good accompaniment tracks and, and how we, that are uplifting, how can we use those uh, best? Um, I, James is in the back saying, Advent Heralds! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, accompaniment tracks, I have struggled with this because there's not a lot of good ones out there. And... Um, I don't have a good source for you. Um, I have found many just kind of uh, here and there. There's good ones here and there. Um, but what I have come to more and more is creating my own and, or finding people who can help you create them. Uh, that, is, that is the best way to go, I think. And we need to do more of that, really. Um, so find people. We need an resource for that. I would agree. <laughs> I completely agree. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not sure that's the best answer, but. <laughs> Yes.
Yeah. So that website, once again, was Praise Hymns, H-Y-M-N-S, like him. So praisehymns.com, is that what you said? Is a good access or resource for tracks. Okay. All righty. Let's break for a few minutes, and then we'll have James present. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.